You're listening to Nearly Numinous. This week, Rachel, Steph, and I are talking about the charismatic leader. This idea stemmed from how we talk about quote-unquote cult leaders, or as we'll clarify in a moment, any new religious movement leaders. But we've noticed that anyone in the public sphere, especially those who wield a lot of power, tend to be very charismatic. We want to chat about what that means and why it's relevant to people interested in the study of religion. So before we get into the bulk of this episode, we wanted to kind of clarify our language a little bit. So we are going to talk about the charismatic leader, which is often stemmed from our discussion on cults, like quote-unquote cults, but we should maybe explain why the term cult will not be heavily used here and why we prefer to use terms such as new religious movements instead. So the term cult is written with negative imagery. As soon as something gets labeled a cult, we steer clear of it because we associate that with corruption, violence, or any subgenre of those two things. When you come into an environment like a religious studies class, Most people are discouraged from labeling something as a cult. This is even more so when you approach it with the media. Much of this is because of that kind of automatic trigger that goes off and we start assuming that it's a dangerous environment and we associate negative language with it. It then becomes really hard for smaller and newer religious movements that they quickly get labeled as a cult because they're maybe different or have a more unique approach that we don't see in typical world religions. So then we jump to label things that way because of the characteristics that it shows, such as being small, led by a charismatic leader, and sometimes, but not always, will be rejecting mainstream society. But just because they have these traits, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to come with corruption and violence that we always assume that it does. So because of that, as people who work and study in the field of religion, we prefer to call these new religious movements, or you'll also hear us say NRMs. The difference there lies in the preconceived notion that a cult is a bad thing, and not all new religious movements need to be considered bad or dangerous. So moving into more of the bulk of the episode, I guess, when it comes to some new religious movements, one of the key attributes of them is that they're often founded based on the philosophy or worldview of a single person, and they're often referred to as being a charismatic leader. So we wanted to focus in on this idea today and look at exactly what it means to be a charismatic leader, and if it's unique to something like a cult or a new religious movement. So a charismatic leader is, uh, is a person who has charisma, uh, and charisma is a char- characteristic associated with magnetic personalities. So people who can draw you in and make you listen to them with the way that they speak and present themselves. Um, it's often less of an intellectual attraction, Um, but not necessarily, um, but there is this base level of an instinctual attraction. So you're just drawn to this person instinctually. Uh, Charismatic people seem to gravitate towards leadership roles because of their ability to influence and guide others. This style of leadership is often used to help define what may be a quote-unquote cult in sociology and social psychology. Cult specialist and licensed therapist Rachel Bernstein who was consulted in the documentary Seduced about the cult Nexium, says there are three types of cult leaders. The delusional martyr, example Marshall Applewhite of Heaven's Gate in San Diego, 
the preacher turned egomaniac who gradually comes to realize their charismatic potential and takes advantage of it. For example, Jim Jones of the People's Temple in Jonestown and the hard and fast narcissist example, Keith Rainier of Nexium. Uh, I do want to note that these are all examples of bad new religious movements, which have popularly come to be known as cults and bad examples of charismatic leaders. But like we were talking about earlier, just because you're a charismatic leader does not automatically mean you are bad or can use your quote unquote powers for bad. So Rachel, what makes uh, those those examples bad examples? Well, the ones that I noted, uh, like Heaven's Gate, uh, Jonestown, and Nexium, they were all examples of um, dangerous, physically violent, um, abusive. The leaders of these quote-unquote cults used and abused their power to um, hurt others, control others in a way that was detrimental to their their personal health and well in the case of heaven's gate and jonestown a lot of people died because of it yeah there were uh both of those had mass suicides right yeah i think uh heaven's gate was like 39 people maybe and then jonestown was nearly a thousand yeah but the charismatic leader is not special to NRMs. Um, a charismatic leader can be anyone who has these traits. Even in your own social settings, you probably know people who you claim are charismatic. Maybe you remember someone from school who was popular or a class clown. Maybe you have a boss who seems born for the job. Maybe you have a friend who seems to be a leader of the friend group. These could all be called examples of charismatic leaders. For example, one of my old housemates was a super charismatic person. Um, I could pretty much listen to her talk all day long, and just the way she spoke and her level of conviction and whatever she said made me want to listen more and made me more likely to agree with what she thought. What about you guys? Do you have any examples of charismatic people in your lives? I always give my Sims the trait of charismatic. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I play Sims 3 a lot, and that's one of the traits that you can give them. And for some reason, I always pick it, and I think that's just because I personally am not charismatic, so I like to, you know, pretend. How does that affect them, their lives? Uh, They make friends very easy. They are always impressing their boss, things like that. I feel like life might be a bit easier if we were all charismatic. Mm -hmm. It would be. Jacqueline, what about you? Um, Yeah, when I think about charismatic leaders, I think about two specific people, uh, both from a camp that I used to work at. Uh, Both were were men. So that's something we can talk about a little bit later is uh, do men tend to gravitate towards charismatic roles more often or do we just notice them more often? Um, But these two individuals uh, were just the sort of people that could change the atmosphere of a room without realizing they were doing it. Um, luckily, they were both good-natured, so they weren't like the the people we were just talking about in, in the cults previously. They would often uh, shift the, af- the atmosphere of the room with their laughter. Um, they were also quite charming and had a way of making people feel really important and valued uh, when they talked to them. They were also really encouraging people and helped people believe more in themselves, which was really a valuable thing in a camp setting where, where there was uh, lots of young adults trying out new new roles and skills and stuff. Um, they sometimes didn't notice that they had the power that they had over others. Um, so sometimes this could be a bad thing, say, if they accidentally 
laughed inappropriately at someone, um, then especially younger staff might be more likely to also join in on that. And so sometimes that was something that they had to be a little bit more aware of. But for the most part, it was uh, it was a good thing. Um, sometimes some of the young uh, female camp counselors tended to develop crushes on these two. Um, and the guys didn't generally notice this, which uh, sometimes led to you awkward situations but just in general it was it was quite a positive thing and they they really encouraged other people by using their charisma when you were saying how sometimes like maybe they'd laugh at the wrong moment that reminds me a lot of like how bullies like class bullies sometimes seem to have a lot of charisma like they can get people on their side even if they say a joke that isn't very funny or whatever they like they tend to pull people over to their idea, get other people to ignore, make fun of others. Like, I've definitely noticed that in uh, my school life. Mm -hmm. I think that has a lot to do with as well that kind of debate that I think we're going to, it's going to be woven through, I think, this whole episode that is there a good charismatic leader and a bad charismatic leader, or is it by nature one or the other, you know? Because I think, you know, there's that with great power comes great responsibility Mm -hmm. and the charismatic leader has that great power you know so Jacqueline I know you had mentioned as well that um, oftentimes when we do this kind of exercise especially in like religion classes at Queens where we all have done our undergrad and master well where we have done (laughs) our masters um, it often gets brought up the idea of the head gale so to kind of frame this a little bit If you did not go to Queens, you'd have zero idea what we're talking about. But basically, during orientation week, there are orientation leaders, and they're called Gales because we are the Queens Gales. And this is a person that is supposed to lead you, answer any questions you have about what it's like to be at Queens, kind of start you off on your social life at university, all that kind of stuff. And the way that we talk about orientation week often gets attributed to the same language that we use to talk about things like cults or especially dangerous new religious movements, but also even just like non-dangerous ones. Um, that being said, things like hazing and stuff like that um, are not dis- are not encouraged anymore. Obviously, things like that still happen because it's university students. They're going to do whatever they want to do. But that this is another example of like a leader who is very charismatic, guiding people, creating that sort of environment. And I think it's also an example of how we use certain language to talk about even personal experiences like going to orientation week. And we attribute it to very like, quote unquote, cult like experiences. Yeah. So I think um, an important distinction when looking at the charismatic leader is that um, while a lot of charismatic people end up being in leadership positions. Not all leaders are charismatic people. So I was in a class that was talking about the head gale as a potentially charismatic person. And uh, there was a lot of debate about are all head gales necessarily charismatic? And kind of the answer that came out is uh, yes, maybe. Like a lot of them probably are, but probably not everybody who has ever been a head gale fits this description of a charismatic leader. Um, And so while people with charisma tend to gravitate towards these these positions of leadership in in institutions, um, so like queens, um, charismatic people get their authority from their persona rather than just from this institutionalized power. I think something that's interesting to me with like bringing up this example that I think 
both Rachel and I, I think, have experienced Queen's Orientation Week more directly than Jacqueline has, but you've still seen it. Um, But I think also kind of associating myself within that, I hated Orientation Week so much. It was not for me. Um, I always tried to be the cool alt chick. Uh, (laughs) And so for me, people like Head Gales or other orientation leaders they just didn't do it for me. I didn't fall under their whole like charismatic thing because it wasn't kind of my audience or I wasn't their audience, so to speak, which I think also kind of is important to note because obviously not all charismatic leaders have a hold over everybody. Yeah. And that's something um, I think it has a lot to do with context and with political leaders. I think it has to do a lot with a particular political context. So um, often if we look at people who we know historically were charismatic we often realize um this from the fact that they were often outside of traditional forms of power and then um due to the political situation they kind of gained a following due to their ideas um and then they ended up in these these leadership roles so uh, a classic one we're probably going to talk about a little bit more is uh hitler so um hitler if you've ever heard any of his speeches um you know that he was very charismatic you can kind of just like feel it when watching his speech his speeches and just seeing how the people watching him would just get enthralled with what he was saying but the thing with hitler is that he he didn't come from a place um originally of being in power and there's lots of historians that look at pre-world war ii germany and wonder hey like pre-World War II, Germany was quite economically in, like unstable. And a lot of the reason why Hitler's ideologies in Germany were so popular was because people were desperate. Like they were, they were burning their money um, to cook their food, you know, because the, like the German, I forget what the German money is called, but it was just, it was just doing so poorly internationally and locally, like they had a market crash. And so they just like weren't doing very well. And so in comes Hitler and these people are so desperate um, that he gained such popularity and that's eventually how he came into power. And the same goes for people like Trump. So I, I, I think of it kind of like through the analogy of a fire. So in these situations, there's often like fuel waiting and it just needs the spark of the right charismatic person in the right moment to start these large movements or cause these ideologies to really spread. Mm-hmm. I think the important part there to note is that it, it seems to be, I think, one of the traits of a charismatic leader and one of the things that the tools that they need to use to actually gain a certain amount of power, regardless of good or bad, is trying to fulfill a need that people want, right? Um, or a want or a need that people have. And for someone like political leaders, they're speaking to people's primal needs with something that I I keep thinking of is people like influencers or YouTubers and stuff. They're being used for really powerful marketing campaigns because they're charismatic and they use their charisma. They use what they have and then they pair it with using the kind of desires of other people to sell them products, right? So that whole kind of environment requires not only the charismatic leader to know how to use their charisma, but it also requires them to understand where there is a need so that they can fill that need. 
Sorry, just to go back to Frosh Week for a sec, I think one of the reasons that Orientation Week at universities is so, so successful for so many people is because it's fulfilling a need that, um, that a lot of, like, new students feel. So, I also didn't have a good experience with Frosh Week first year, but I think it was less because I was, like, anti-Frosh Week and more because I was super scared. But then the second year around, I actually became a Gale. Second what does that mean, by the way? I'm just, I, I'm still quite unfamiliar with a lot of these terms. <laughs> so, um, there are, there's a bit of a hierarchy um, to orientation leaders. So, in arts and science faculty, there is the frosh at the bottom, then there is a gale, and they are in charge of a group of frosh, maybe like 15 people, and then there are OCs, which I think are orientation coordinators, and they are in charge of a group of like like 15, 20-ish gales, and then there is, above the OCs, there's the head gale, who is in charge of different groups of orientation coordinators. So there's this... Very culty. Yeah, it, it, like, looking back, it is very culty, and I had a much better time around the second time when I was a gale. I, like, definitely felt more like I belonged. There was a lot of, like, group activities that made you feel like you are a gale now. This is, like, your purpose for right now, and you are going to be doing so much good by helping out Frosh, by, like, helping a lot of people, blah, 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 kind of just, like, isolating you for a whole week uh, called pre-week, um, where you get ready for Frosh week. Um, oh, I hated that so much. You were a gale too? Okay, no. So I worked on campus <laughs> pretty much every summer since second year. And I remember, I still remember, I worked in the career services office and my window backed out into one of the courtyards. And all during the week leading up to orientation week was just the stupid orientation songs and cheers <laughs> being sung over and over again. And I was like, I'm just trying to do my work. I was I was miserable. I was so miserable. Aww. I hated it so much. <laughs> it's so different though when you're in it. Like so yeah. I I hate yelling. I hate cheering and I hate dancing. But when I was a gale, I was like, "Yes, I'm so into this because I thought like like wow, I belong with a bunch of people who like want to do this thing for Frosh, like want to make people's Frosh weeks better than like mine was, for example. It was like this sense of belonging that like my OC and their head Gail was providing for me that like I wanted to provide for like, you know, the Frosh below me. It was such a very interesting dynamic. I just want to touch on um what Rachel was just mentioning about these different layers within uh well, Frosh Week, but this is also a common thing that we see in these quote-unquote cults. Um, in specifically, when we look at cults from a sociological angle, so um, in sociology and in social psych, they actually do continue to use um, the word cult because there isn't the same sort of like good, bad uh, stereotypes that there would be when looking at it from religious studies, from a religious studies angle, but or even like a you- general public angle as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're looking at it from sociology, you're looking at like, why do these groups form and how do they form? And so what's very common in um, these cults is um, other than the charismatic leaders, there's often these layers. So you start off as um, just like maybe a frosh and then you kind of buy in a little bit and then you move to the next layer. And then um, in this next layer, you uh, maybe 
look at initiating other people or, and getting other people to join. And so you're going out, you're knocking on doors. Um, and then at a certain point, you maybe um, gain enough credit that you're moving to this next layer. And with these different layers, there's often like you learn more and more um, information about like maybe the secret knowledge that this particular group has if they're a religious group. Um, or in the case of, uh, I, I guess, Queens is, I don't know, maybe you you learn more of the chants by heart or that sort of thing. So you get like, you get more knowledge that way. And so there's this sort of buy-in that happens. And with that uh, comes this belonging that Rachel was talking about. So I thought I'd just bring that up and say like, yeah, like there's more to these cults than than just the charismatic leader. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and partic- when you're in these cults, particularly the bad ones, um, once you kind of bought in, the line between like victim and perpetrator of the abuse that happens in these cults kind of tends to get blurred. Like maybe once you're one of the lower tiers, like you're still more of like a victim. But once you start like indoctrinating other people, once you start like carrying out the rituals that are involved in these movements, like then you sort of become like you're not just like a victim or like a receiver of the ideas of the cult then you also become a perpetrator and I think that's one of the more interesting aspects of like cults and new religious movements to me. I think it's especially fascinating when you're looking at how they prosecute cults uh, that end up kind of going through the legal system because of the harms that they're doing on other people. It is very muddled when it gets down to so obviously there's the top charismatic leader that it seems to be a trait in all of these um, you know, like you were saying, when you look at like Nexium or Jonestown, whatever, there is that kind of like head honcho, charismatic leader at the very top. But then there's the other ones kind of that trickle down. And then it's a balance of can you prosecute those people because are they being pulled in by the top charismatic leader or are they perpetuating the cult enough and like the negative parts of that enough that you can actually prosecute them as well? Yeah. And it's not like a hard and fast line. Like there's so much intricate psychology that's involved in cults that like I definitely don't feel qualified to talk about but Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a complicated subject and I'll just add um and a lot of times uh finances get involved so um Mm -hmm. maybe some people have given all of their their finances to this to this group and then they don't see a way out so that's another thing too is that um, there's this thing called uh, cognitive dissonance. So maybe maybe these people are starting to feel uncomfortable in that they've given up all their money and they feel distressed about that. And they're looking at, oh, like, do I convince these people below me in the hierarchy to also give up their money? Um, and they, they feel conflicted about that. But then at the same time, they also know that, well, I've given my money. So clearly I value this group enough. And so... Um, clearly it's important to me and so I should stay in it and so I should continue to grow this community and encourage these other people to give their money or do these other things because it is so important to me Um, and so that's how uh, very often people end up staying in is because they kind of convince themselves that there's no way out and that it's important to them. All right so I think we've talked a lot about kind of especially from the negative perspective of this But it's not necessarily always, first off, associated with cults, but second, uh, associated with bad charismatic leadership. So I think there's 
It's definitely a little bit more convoluted when you, so we kind of brought up here the Gales or personal like relationships that we have that these people have very charismatic qualities, but I think it becomes that much more magnified when you talk about people that actually have a significant power over their quote unquote followers. And I think, again, it's not necessarily good or bad. Like, for example, we can talk about like, is Jesus a charismatic leader, right? I don't think I know anybody that thinks that Jesus at his core is bad. Do you guys? I don't, I don't know. I feel like everybody's pretty chill with Jesus, even if they're not chill with God. But Except for the, the Roman Empire might have had a thing or two against him. Yeah, I'm talking about today. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a Christian, but I think Jesus was pretty chill. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But was he a charismatic leader? Because I guess the traits are there in the sense that he had a following. He was able to convince people of his opinions and perspectives, I guess, to put it, you know, he was using those charismatic qualities to kind of get people to like be on board with like his ideologies, right? Yeah, I think what a lot of Christian uh, people might say is that this charisma, this like feeling of inspiration to follow Jesus, because in a lot of these stories, um, it's recorded that, you know, Jesus literally just said, come and follow me. And people just like dropped everything and followed him. Hell yeah, Jesus. Uh- I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm on my way. Yesterday. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, sorry. Continue. I've always got a song. I've always got a song for any moment. <laughs> um, I, I think that a lot of uh, Christians would attribute this to being the Holy Spirit inspiring, like this, like being this charisma and this attraction. And so interesting. Um, yeah. I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing to, to link it to charisma. It would just be, it would probably be explained in a different way. So in mm-hmm. that way, like the charisma isn't like earthly, it's, you know, godly and spiritual. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have a question. Do you guys think that Jesus can still be considered a charismatic leader now, even though he's been dead for like 2000 years? I think so. Because, okay, so we were talking about the kind of levels of these sort of religious movements. Um, You know, we more specifically talked about it from like the cult perspective, but it exists in every single religious movement. There are the kind of deity figures, which are, I think, kind of considered like the leader of the religion, more or less, right? Um, but then there's also like the prophets, there's someone like Jesus, depending on if you're from a Christian perspective, that kind of links in with the deity figure. If you're not from a Christian perspective, you can also say he's more of a prophet, but that's kind of a different level than you've got like in the Christian church, just to use this example, you've got like priests or ministers. Um, and then, you know, you can go off into different denominations there and every different denomination has their own structure. Right. So it's almost like the way that Christianity set up exists beyond the original charismatic leader. And I mean, you could even bring this into to like push it more towards like the cult, quote unquote, cult ideology. Um, I'm not making any firm stances on if Scientology is a cult or not because I'm scared of them. (laughs) But the leader, um, Hubbard, but he died years ago. But Scientology is still existing beyond him because like, you know, similarly, Jesus or Muhammad, etc., has set up a network of people, of charismatic leaders, to continue spreading their messaging and their ideology and philosophy. 
And again, this is kind of going back to that argument, like, are charismatic leaders always bad or are they good? You know, I think it's a bit more complicated than that because, again, like I said, I don't necessarily see Jesus as being bad, but he has created this, like, massive network of people to kind of spread his message. Well, Paul did, not Jesus. Yeah, but, like, regardless of, like, (laughs) but the whole point is, like, regardless of, like, the intent behind it, Mm -hmm. um, Jesus has created this network, right? Like, he had Mm -hmm. his disciples, So technically, like, you could still say he was, like, kind of the start of, like, that network, even though Paul was the one that kind of hit the ground running with it, you know? Yeah. Now, that's a good question about, like, what happens when the leader dies, right? Like, um, maybe that, like, original charisma is, like, I don't know. The charisma is gone from the leader, but, like, obviously their teachings are still available. But can, like, some, can, like, teachings and readings be charismatic or is that like we were saying earlier like an instinctual attraction do you have to like be in a room with a person to be drawn to them well I think that has to do with the whole idea of once again like divine inspiration particularly like with these holy texts there's often stories about you know uh people have grown up atheist and then they encounter the bible and they open to it open it to this particular page and it just like speaks to them so um i think i think i think it can still have that like charismatic feeling um to it um as a text but yeah that's very because like christians would say that that's the word of god right so then like god in a way is embodied in this book but i'm not really sure um about other texts where Mm -hmm. it's not seen as the divine being in the text like would it would it still have this sort of I don't know inspirational feeling associated with it I'm not sure well then the question is is can we really deduce that because Christianity has such a wide reach Hmm. that the teachings of you know it doesn't just exist on its own within a book right um I I doubt that there's been many people that have just picked up the bible without any knowledge of Christianity period and started reading it you know what I mean So I think it's hard to try to, like, make a conclusive statement on, like, if it exists within the book versus if it exists beyond that, because it it already exists beyond that. No, that's a good point, because in a lot of these stories, it's portrayed as if they have never encountered these ideas before. But you're right, like, they most likely have, and it's mostly likely not a new thing to them. So they're probably going through something in their life that like leads to this like like being more sensitive to these sorts like these sorts of ideas or mm-hmm. something like that that or even like they were given show. this book by somebody that they mm. trust yeah which is its own kind of like link to that charisma right yeah or they find it in a drawer at a, in a hotel room <laughs> with no prior knowledge of christianity period never heard of it <laughs> never heard of it what, what is what's what? jesus what is it doing here i thought that's just what my mom yelled when she gets real mad <laughs> I'm kidding. My mom would never yell, Jesus. She's she's a good Christian woman. <laughs> and I know she's probably listening to this. <laughs> Hi, Steph's mom. <laughs> All right. So then if we look at, because then there's that other layer of it, right? So like pushing beyond the leader of the religion, going to that different layer of like, you look at things like mega churches even. And who was Billy Graham? Was that his name? The, like, massive televangelist. Let me look him up. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. like him. Yeah. That guy is no doubt a charismatic leader. 
And so then does that, I don't know what you guys think about this, but like, does that warp the original messaging then? So like, if you're reading and telling the story about Jesus as a charismatic leader, but you're infusing it with your own charismatic leadership qualities, are you then influencing your congregation or whatever group you're influencing to kind of deviate from what the original charismatic messages were? Yeah, I think absolutely. Like, if you have that sort of power within you, you can totally sort of warp the quote-unquote original message of what you were going with and I don't know people may not notice or they'll just be like yeah this makes sense just because you're saying it and I think I've heard like some pastors of mega churches have like come under fire because some of the um some of the things that they're teaching are not it's not like about love and peace and all that it's like uh I remember it's reading political <laughs> sometimes it's political a lot I remember reading one thing like it's more like bedroom focused like uh whether like <laughs> like <laughs> like not which side of the bed you sleep on or whatever but like or who you sleep with <laughs> no the pastors were like more focusing on who you're sleeping with um what you're doing like with contraception whether you're getting an abortion or not like it's less focused on maybe what you might say are like the core concepts of christianity and more of like more like compelling political things that they like they're kind of preaching their own agenda maybe Mm -hmm. and they they have that ability because they have that charisma well i'm sure that's what ends up happening with um like there are certain churches that are super corrupt at this point right and they'll still call themselves like oh well what's it called the westboro baptist church i think that is a prime example of like yeah, they're quote-unquote Christian, but the messaging has been pulled so far away from, I think, what you would assume and, like, what we say that Jesus said, right? That it's now warped into something different because there was a different charismatic leader taking that and maybe shifting it a little bit, right? I mean, they could also say the same about, like, other more, like, less radical Christian churches, though. Like, they could say our view is the true view this is what like jesus would preach to us and these other denominations have been corrupted yeah that's fair it's all about perspective i guess yeah something like that hey rachel you're uh expert or or expert on buddhism and i was wondering if you had anything to say about buddha maybe and charisma oh I am not an expert on Buddhism. If I feel like if you call me that and then I say something wrong, <laughs> I, it's going to be awful. But, in, like, I really don't know enough about the Buddha to say whether he was, like, a charismatic leader. He was obviously, like, people were obviously drawn to him and his teachings enough to, like, follow him around. But I really don't know about... Maybe our listeners could chime in. Yeah, if you, are you a better expert on the Buddha than I am? Uh, Tell us, like, what do you know about the Buddha? Like, would you consider him a charismatic leader? And by the way, if you're listening and you ever are like, huh, I have something to add or I want to chat with the host, you can send us an email. Um, We keep an eye on our email for the most part. It's nearlynuminous at gmail.com. And you can chat with us. Let us know if you disagree. Just don't call us mean things because I'm very sensitive. We'll you cry. Can, yeah, you can comment on our Facebook posts and stuff too. And yeah. on, Instagram. We're on yeah. Instagram. All right. So then how do we think this fares? So at this point, we've talked about personal things. We've talked about religious things. How do you think this fares in the political sphere? Because Jacqueline kind of brought up um, like Hitler's 
very well-known charisma. And you kind of briefly mentioned Donald Trump in there. But again, I think it's we've brought up these kind of more, at, at least in our perspective, negative people. Um, I think everybody thinks Hitler was a negative person. But, you know, Donald Trump, there's still some people who think that he's not. Anyway, point being, um, you know, for someone like me who I more often lean to the, like the political left, I even think of someone like Bernie Sanders as being a charismatic leader. So again, it's not necessarily always bad, but it's interesting how these kind of groups form. And I'm especially fascinated with the fact that I've seen um, primarily white Christian keyboard warriors kind of say that like, we've lost religion in primarily the US. I think you can kind of mirror this into Canada for sure. But you know, we've lost religion and now we look to political leaders to kind of fill that void of our religion. So I think it's interesting as well that now we've got these people like Bernie Sanders or AOC who are very charismatic leaders and they're kind of using these tactics that people often used for developing religions and spreading religions. They're now using to like develop their political following as well. Like what? What are the what are the things they're using? I think that like primarily that charismatic leadership quality, right? So there's almost this messaging that they're trying to get across. They're speaking to your primal needs and your desires and trying to fill that with their messaging. And then beyond that, even someone like Bernie Sanders or AOC especially, they're working really hard to kind of get out in front of their constituents and their followers, right? So like AOC, for example, she'll go out onto the streets and hand out care packages to homeless people. And that to me is a very much a charismatic leadership quality. I don't know if you guys would disagree with that, but... No, I agree. But then, I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, like, Donald Trump doesn't really do that, and people are still, like, huge followers of him. Like, it's... They're both kind of on, if I could say, opposite ends of the political spectrum, but then also in the way that they engage with their charisma and, like, try to gain followers they also have different tactics as well Mm -hmm. but they both seem like pretty effective I guess yeah I I have a question because I just thought of this so it's not maybe well thought out and it might sound (laughs) dumb but do you think that gaslighting is part of charismatic leadership especially when it comes to kind of like bad charismatic leadership so there have been quite a few um apparently quite a few headlines talking about how Donald Trump gaslights America. Um, Like NBC says, some experts say Trump team's falsehoods are classic gaslighting. Um, This says, to gaslight someone isn't just to lie to them or to manipulate their emotions. It is a deliberate attempt to deceive someone into questioning their own perception of reality. So it's a sort of manipulation that makes you second guess yourself in favor of the one who is manipulating you. I would say that now that you read that definition, I would say that that fits in with charismatic leadership, even in a good charismatic leader. I think I would agree. Yeah. Because it's all about making you understand their worldview, which is no, no, your worldview is not going to be the same as mine, period, because we're different people. I'm thinking too about the relationship between gaslighting and charismatic leadership. And I'm just realizing that very often like they both rely heavily on like in-person, in-the-moment interactions. So like you don't generally feel charisma if you're not in the same room with the charismatic person. Um, 
And then with gaslighting, very often it also happens in person where the person just says the thing that belittles your experience and you don't have the space to uh, speak up for yourself maybe or like look up other facts. Um, that's the whole thing with like, especially Trump and, and fake news is very often um, the news just couldn't keep up with all the claims that he was making that that were not correct facts. And so then it then it becomes very difficult to keep up with that. And so I think, um, yeah, they both they both very much rely on this like in person relationship. And I wonder if that's maybe why there's so much overlap between charismatic leaders and gaslighting. I feel like we keep coming back to the bad charismatic leader trope. And I'm wondering, do you think that this happens to us a lot where when people are good charismatic leaders, you don't necessarily see it as much. You like, they exist, but you you tie other words to them. So I'm even just thinking like with Jesus, Jesus is never really referred to as a quote unquote charismatic leader, but I've seen him referred to as a revolutionary. He's a prophet. He's the leader of a movement, etc. But you never see like charismatic attached to him. Whereas when it comes to cult leaders, that's one of their defining features. Like you read anything that kind of defines a cult, it's a charismatic leader, period. Why do you think that we associate charismatic leadership with bad people? I think it comes down to power. Um, I mean, obviously, I think there are other things involved, but I think power dynamics is really what makes a difference, like whether people can use their, um, you know, charisma for good or bad. It's more noticeable when they use it for bad, maybe. I had a high school English teacher that uh, we were studying the book by George Orwell called Animal Farm, and he would always say power taints. And so just this idea that in that story, um, the animals kick the humans out of the house and kind of like seek uh, justice for themselves but the leaders of these animals are these pigs and so very quickly these these pigs kind of start uh, seeking power for themselves and actually end up moving to the big house um, keeping everybody else like in the stables and they also get to sleep in the beds Um, and then there's like it's this big story about just how um, yeah even with the best intentions often power has this tendency to bring about this corruption and so I was just wondering Um, Do you think that charismatic leaders who seek out or end up in these these positions of power, do you think that they they necessarily are tainted by this power? Is there a way around this? Um, How how can they maintain their integrity? That's an interesting question, because I think especially when you look at politics, for example, when you see people like the Clintons, I think they're a great example of how. Their intentions may have been good coming into the political realm, but they've clearly had abuses of power since they've been in political office. Mm-hmm. Same with even like Justin Trudeau. I don't think he's a bad person. Do I think he's abused his power in certain ways and done things that have not been the best option for the role that he has? Yes, 100%. I think also... Uh, especially um, when you hear about people who grow up, like as they're growing up, who think or say quite vocally, I would make a good leader. I'm going to be, I don't know, the next president of the United States. I think we should especially be 
quite cautious of those sorts of people in that kind of what I'm seeing or from my own experience also is that it's often the the people who don't want to be leaders who do not want that power who actually end up being the better leaders because um, they're more focused on helping other people whereas whereas the people that maybe are charismatic but are doing it because it makes them feel good to be a leader um that they'll like for sure be tainted by this power but yeah i think i think personally that if they start off in a place where they're not they're not power hungry that there's there's more potential for them to be a positive charismatic leader um it's just how how do they maintain that that's the question so do you think jesus was a good person or did power taint him too (laughs) well a big thing about jesus um (laughs) is that like there's this story about him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone's like why on earth is he riding in here on a donkey he's supposed to be our like cool king who's gonna save us from Rome why isn't he coming in on a stallion and so I think he very much chose not to be powerful and so in in that way yeah I think he he is one of the charismatic leaders that I know of that did maintain integrity Um, but then again he also did get executed so that's that's too bad (laughs) it's too bad (laughs) yeah also though like the people who wrote about jesus could have like specifically had that in mind like we don't want um Mm. we don't want the idea of power to taint jesus as we write him so like they could have been writing these stories about him with that in mind and like maybe historically he did ride into Jerusalem on like a stallion but then whoever wrote the story about him was like now it's a donkey should we kind of talk about we had mentioned this a little bit at the beginning well Jacqueline you mentioned this more specifically at the beginning that and you can even see how the conversation has kind of been woven through is the charismatic leader a gendered thing is that maybe that men traditional traditionally understood as men have the charismatic leadership qualities or is that maybe like a societal thing or what what do you what do you think i wonder if we're just more conditioned to be ready to accept it and that if those characteristics appear in a woman we maybe ignore it or don't take it as seriously or it's expressed in a different way maybe maybe it's kind of similar to that you know like bossy versus bitch thing that you hear like male bosses when they're like authoritative you know they're a boss and then when it's a female boss she's a bitch yeah so maybe you like yeah maybe we're just not conditioned to think of it as charisma in that way or maybe men and women are socialized such that charisma shows up in different ways for different genders for sure I think there's also a bit of it that as a whole people are more comfortable with men in leadership positions like we were kind of saying so that when a woman does show leadership like charismatic leadership qualities people are more likely to dismiss them so even as I was mentioning like before I personally see AOC as a very charismatic leader but the entire conservative especially conservative men population in the U.S. would argue with me they would not say that she is an effective leader. They would not say that she's charismatic. They would probably diminish it down to the fact that, you know, she's an attractive woman or something, right?
time to close out. What do we think? Are charismatic leaders good or bad? Should charisma be banned from public leadership? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> what do you mean? We just spent like an hour and a half ah. talking about this. You should be an expert now. I think if you're a good person, then you'll make a good charismatic leader. But power taints, right? Just work at an NGO that has a flat power structure. But I mean, not all NGOs are great either. <laughs> Fair. Oh well, yeah, work at the good ones. Well, who's to say what's good? <laughs> See, it's not a black and white answer. <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard. My opinion is that it's very it's probably going to be on a case-by-case basis. I don't think you can just say, like, charismatic leaders are bad or good. Um, I think it's what people do with the tools that they have that makes them good or bad. And, I mean, like we've seen in some cases, it can be good for some people, bad for others. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Nearly Numinous. You can find us online. Just search for Nearly Numinous. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to send us an email with your thoughts, find us at nearlynuminous at gmail.com. And also, we have a website, nearlynuminous.ca.